That was pretty yep. great. We gotta be careful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Drop at DFT. You are in the middle of our DFT Talks series, an extension of DFT University coming to you soon at digitalfilmtree.com. DFT Talks today is hosting a chat on something that was incredibly popular during the pandemic, but every single webinar I attended always ended with check with your IT team. Well, 90% of this town didn't really have an IT team during the pandemic. And so I wonder what happened with all that media that was being worked on securely from the home. <laughs> Here, we did have a lot of people working securely from the home on that media. That's why today's DFT talk is securing your content in the cloud. Joining me today is Digital Film Tree CISO, joining us live via Zoom. So you're gonna see us looking towards an iPad over here and you know, very uh, very robots rising as you will. Uh, and then also our Director of Content and Data Security, Erin White, ladies and gentlemen, you know her, you love her, welcoming her back to the table. You are actually one of a very few, maybe less than a handful of people that have only done a drop episode at the table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because shortly thereafter, we went headlong into the pandemic and moved this yep, party outside. out into the parking lot. Yep. So that's pretty wild. Hey, how you doing over there? Doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. Thank you for joining us, sir. I know that you probably picked a career in cybersecurity so that you yourself wouldn't have to be the star of one of these shows. We appreciate you expanding your comfort zone. That's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, can I start really pedestrian, really, really bare bones basics? Because honestly, this is this is something that's uh, fairly new so far as like indus industrial revolution goes, so far as computers go. But cybersecurity, can you even tell me what your definition of cybersecurity is? Protecting information and transit and at rest. That is a very like succinct that. and well done <laughs> answer. Mm -hmm. Aaron, um, what is content and data security? Content and data security in our industry involves video and audio. So there's different forms of like data, but we have that layer of like having video that we have mm -hmm. to protect as well. So let's talk about everything from now, quote unquote, post-pandemic, mm -hmm. pandemic, prior to pandemic, because I think a lot of people don't actually realize that cybersecurity for media and entertainment, as you alluded to, is actually quite different than, you know, only worrying about your average hack per se, mm -hmm. of like trying to trick somebody into giving their password, their banking information, the Prince of Nigeria wants to wire you, $3.5 million, mm -hmm. if only we had your banking information. To be clear, that still happens. That in and of itself, arguably has given more talks on the fact that your email is the biggest risk, period. That you have to be worried about the rogue file, the PDF and anything labeled .htm. Don't open that. Please don't open that. Stop opening that. <laughs> it's not helpful to anybody. We promise you're not missing an invoice. And if you are, they're going to call you. 
and we'll probably come back to that because as uh, the humble host and CFO here at Digital Film Tree, you'd be surprised how many people are trying to trick me into believe that they have attached just, you know, following up on this an invoice as an HTM file. It's not real, people. It's not real. <laughs> when did, do either of you happen to know that? When did the TPN come about? Because it was meant to be something that helped us clear Warner Brothers security, Sony security, all these different studios that had their security protocol. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be a network. So it did come about probably in like the last five years prior to that when they made the decision to kind of be more cohesive like where you just had to answer um like a questionnaire that provides like the the baseline um information can i ask or... like what is some of that what are the questions is it also physical security like the yes. building mm -hmm. does somebody come and like walk the building Yes, prior to the pandemic, uh, we did our first audit was in the building. The internet wiring, um, how we have our systems linked and set up to firewalls and everything to protect like our content. Mm -hmm. Talk me through that. Like, what do you, I know that whenever this comes up every year, because we have to go through certification every single year, there are hurdles that you kind of present before us that we're gonna need to clear. Things that we need to prepare for, things that maybe during the year we got a little too, you know, either not documenting enough or things that have changed. Do we get something prior that kind of says like, here's here are the hurdles you're gonna have to clear or how do we prepare for these audits? Uh, well, the audit begins with a very comprehensive questionnaire that uh, I fill out or farm out to the appropriate area of the company. And over half of that relates to IT security and you know the various requirements that we have to uh, prove that we've met. What are some of those departments? Like, I know that I'm setting you up for a good one here, but what are the departments that, that IT security actually touches? Yeah, my section of the questionnaire uh, covered primarily our routers, firewalls, switches, servers, encryption, those sorts of things, uh, even getting into uh, business continuity, like, um, you know, if a fiber gets cut, does it flow another way, that sort of thing. And then other sections of the questionnaire cover uh, like HR, physical security, so on. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this yet, and it might be too <laughs> soon for you guys to find it funny, but what happens when, oh, say, a cable catches on fire at one Wilshire. What's one Wilshire? <laughs> it's a uh, a very important building for the internet. It's where most of the fiber in North America comes together before it goes across an ocean. Fun fact, Lacan de Leon, ladies and gentlemen, he's <laughs> our editor. And right now, he's going to drop in a video about one Wilshire. See you in a minute. Well, take a look at this office building in downtown LA. This is one Wilshire at the east end of Wilshire Boulevard, even though the address is on Grand Avenue. And it looks like a normal office building, but it is actually one of the most important telecommunication buildings in the world. It started life as a normal office building when it opened in 1966. The 30-story tower housed law firms uh, up until the mid-1980s and early 1990s. When the telecommunications industry was deregulated, lots of underground cables, very high concentration of them, were installed near one Wilshire. And this is 
is just a couple of blocks away from another important telecommunications center, the AT&T Switching Center right here. Here you can see the massive microwave transmitter on the roof, which is no longer in operation. Well, a competitor came along called MCI. They installed their own microwave transmitter atop one Wilshire because it was uh, one of the tallest buildings here and had excellent lines of sight. Uh, and so all of a sudden you have telecom kind of coalescing around this building. Uh, things really took off in 1992 when it underwent some very important upgrades that included uh, adding hard wiring, very sophisticated cooling systems, and uh, advanced uh, backup generators. And now, these days, it is one of the top three telecommunication buildings in the world and is the most highly connected internet point in the western United States. Google, Amazon, Verizon, Netflix, Sirius XM, and so many other huge companies have hardware inside of this building. Submarine cables run between here and Asia that transmit one-third of all internet traffic between our two continents every single day, routed right through here, through one Wilshire. Obviously, now you, can, you know why this is also one of the most valuable buildings in the city. Sold for a record $660 per square foot. Uh, last decade, which I believe is still a record. I was shocked to learn that this very unassuming building is one of the most important buildings in our ever more connected society. Welcome back. That was interesting, wasn't it? All right. So what happens then when a cable gets cut? We have redundancies here, huh? Like there's I mean, going through these auditory steps, that's kind of what they're looking for, right? That we have fallover network or an ability to continue or that somebody wouldn't infiltrate in a moment of vulnerability like that, right? Yeah, so we do something uh, somewhat unique for a business of our size, and that's uh, we lease our own fiber directly from the people that bury it in the ground. And uh, we've got two different... Uh, types of fiber. Uh, they call it a diversity pair. So if one gets cut, the traffic automatically goes the other way. I, I wish I knew what that meant. And in these <laughs> moments, I usually then turn to Aaron White. Can you put that into like regular Nancy terms for me and the folks at home? Yeah. So if the first wire gets cut, we have the ability because we have two diversity pair. We have two providers that allow us to cut over without our clients and our staff realizing that something as major as a fiber being cut has happened. Traffic's still allowed to go out of DFT or come into DFT. Hmm. You have an A side and a B side. If something happens to A, we like B is lit up, already lit up and ready to go to take A's hmm. place as we're getting that back in line or it's being serviced. So the only real difference that our clients felt throughout any of this was the fact that like they weren't getting the 100 gig fiber, right? Like it was the redundancy fallover, the B side, if you will, was a little bit slower. So the, the signient portals that we have, Media Shuttle, we weren't dropping things into their portals per se because it would have taken much longer than it normally would, right? Yes. So correct. we were sending it for them to download after they received the email, right? Mm-hmm. That's about the extent of it, wasn't it? In regard to like having a diversity pair, where our business continuity plan allows for redundancy at a bunch of different um, stages. Um, so with that too, we were able to also switch over media shuttle to help us continue so that our clients wouldn't notice an impact. 
So day-to-day -day operations, talk me through some of that. Like you've probably been referenced on the drop more than you might be comfortable with. <laughs> Mostly because I think that IT security gets a bad rap in most of the, the industry where you are very aware of that, that people feel like you, you know, security gets in the way, it prevents speed or efficiency and things of that nature. You actually have made, I would say quite a career here at DFT in making IT security a culture. It is easy and understandable for us to actually follow along with what you're recommending because you actually paint a picture of how this not only makes our jobs, dare I say, easier, but actually within the scope of an understanding of why security is providing for all of us in that capacity. So it's not just about which emails we do or don't open, but it's also why we go through certain protocols like carbon black versus malware bytes or the protocols for jump or splash hopper. I mean, there's so many different ways in which we are able to actually provide options for people to do their work even remotely while not getting in the way. Can you kind of give me, I guess I'm asking for something of a philosophy and also how have you even built so much of what we just take for granted in a day? So the most challenging part, I think, of every CISO's job is how to balance security with the needs of the business <clears throat> and uh you know if you're if you're too secure and nobody can work then that that causes more harm than good and so for me it's it's always just trying to find the that that magical place in the middle and so um having employees at dft buy into a security culture is a big part of our success i think and then it's just a matter of picking the right security controls and then making sure they're properly installed. I love humility. It's not doing us any favors, Aaron. <laughs> Tell us. I mean, there, there are so many different things that go into keeping the media secure here. You touch every file that comes in and every mm -hmm. file that goes out. And even when you're asleep, although you do that rarely, you have a footprint. Like you get an email, like there's a whole case study, folks. We will link you to it. It's on our website, uh, the Signet Media Shuttle case study, how we've built so much of what makes us so fast. You can also watch what the F is GeoPost mm -hmm. with Aaron and mm -hmm. our uh, then CTO, now current co-CTO, Thomas Gallion, where we talk about GeoPost and why we're so fast, why we believe in camera masters in the cloud, how it empowers your VFX, how it, em it empowers your promo, your editors, everything, every part of the process. <laughs> how do you even begin to keep six petabytes worth of media safe? Um, I think it's just, it, it goes with the culture and always having that mindset uh, coming from a film background. If you were to cut a negative at the wrong spot that could force you to like lose your job. And now with like digital and files, you still have to have reverence to, um, yes, you have duplicates, like you can have them in different locations, but you still, I've always done that approach. Like that media is still sacred. Mm -hmm. Like, well, to be fair, 
if we do go to even what the F is dailies, Mm -hmm. we still talk about the fact that like, it's still this one hard drive that we are plugging in to the remote geopod until that media is sitting on the storage in the geopod and transferring over to us. Yeah. This is all there is. Yeah. That hard drive, if you get into a car accident, it flies out of the car. It's still a physical piece of media yep. that you've damaged and cannot, you know, replace. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's also a great story <laughs> in What the F is Dailies with Paul Edmiston on it, who talks about the time that they sent film reels through a scanner, an x-ray scanner. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't know, you're not supposed to do that. Yep. But anyway, <laughs> that's what I think you're talking about. Kind yeah. of the anxiety of like, these are still files of which this file is the only living attribute of mm-hmm. it. Yep. Because... For those who don't know, after you've done a day of production, they wipe those cards. So until card clearance has occurred, meaning that the information has been downloaded and sent safely, the post house, the processing house can confirm we have the media. Now this card or this drive can be wiped and sent back to set for new media. One, not only was the media that was on here precious, the whole time that it's going through the cloud, because think about it, Ted Lasso was shooting in London. Mm-hmm. Cruel Summer was shooting in Vancouver. Wrecked was shooting in Fiji. Yeah. The Boys After Show was shooting in all 19 over the place. different areas across <laughs> the globe. So all of these things, all of that media, it existed only on one drive. And then... It was on our computers until we could create a redundancy. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, folks at home, it's really helpful that she has the weight of that trauma and fear. <laughs> yes. Alive and well. Yep. Um, but then what are some of the things like, again, I want to make sure that you guys understand, you take for granted the wisdom and knowledge that you have. People at home, maybe it's helpful to even explain like what are some of the things that they can do to make sure that their own media is secure and safe like what is it that we do that the average person at home is actually able to leverage like i understand we're a full force facility in Mm -hmm. many places around the world we have artists sitting in new york we have somebody sitting off the coast of madagascar like it's ridiculous but that for somebody at home who's cutting say NCIS Los Angeles (laughs) we deploy routers to make sure Mm -hmm. that their traffic is isolated so that it's a benefit to them where it partitions the work that they need to do they take that much internet bandwidth and you guys keep me honest because I Mm -hmm. might be making this up but then also we're not like watching what they're doing on the internet but we are doing is making sure that nothing, no bad actors, nothing nefarious is coming through. Is that an accurate way to portray it? Yeah, so the uh, the remote routers allow us to do network segmentation and also pretty much extend the same security controls we have at the office to anywhere people are working. Somebody going to tell me what those security controls are? Um. So, well, do you want to take that one? Come on, <laughs> So, uh, of course, we deploy uh, what's called an EDR agent, uh, endpoint detection response. That was the carbon black. So that affects the, the computer itself. And then the router serves as a hardware firewall that's separated from, you know, any inbound bad traffic. 
Carver Black does that too, but you know, I, I always throw a firewall up everywhere I possibly can. And then we also block uh, malware before it even has a chance to get started by filtering uh, what's called uh, domain name service queries. Is that a good place to talk about how we have, what is it, 2 billion IP addresses or something wild like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, DFT is actually positioned as a, a tier two internet service provider. Uh, so because we bought so much bandwidth at one Wilshire and uh, I also registered a massive amount of IP addresses because, you know, why not? Um, what does that mean? Like practically, what does that even mean to have that many IP addresses and what is a tier two service provider? Uh, so what that means is that we're like our own little segment of the Internet and we uh, go through a process called peering with other um, you know, some of your major telecom providers. And because we have two or three of those, I'm able to pick how our traffic flows across the internet. So we were talking about Ted Lasso being recorded in London. Uh, I went and found an internet provider that had more bandwidth going across an ocean uh, and was able to force our traffic to take that path uh, so that it, everything was faster. Aaron, why is he this way? <laughs> It's amazing for us <laughs> here at DFT. Basically with that model, what you'll see like in one of our upcoming reels that's gonna be posted to our website, we start off working with like the show and is able to what we call IP logistics. So we have a call with them where we're able with the clients to cater to their needs. And one of those things uh, that does to start off with is finding the internet that's going to provide the fastest route so that we can continue our services that you'll see in upcoming drop episodes or on our website. Um, those services allow us to be not only fast, but also efficient and secure all at the same time. How you do that? No, I just put a lot of careful thought into uh, the best way to plan out the network for each situation. And that's something that uh, is just very unique. Like even the major studios don't appear to do this. What keeps you up at night so far as, you know, keeping, I want to, it's an easy thing to say, like keeping us safe, but it's, it's truly, it's our clients media. Like, are you worried about things like, um, one of our remote clients accessing media here at DFT, or are you more concerned about, say, an employee here opening the wrong file? I really don't have to stay up at night worrying because I've built so much uh, security into the network and so much network segmentation that even if we had somebody in, uh, you know, accounts payable open an invoice that's actually a ransomware deployment script or something, it would have no way of impacting uh, any media. So the worst thing that would happen is we'd have to rebuild one computer. What does that mean that the network is segmented? Yeah. So I've taken great pains and dividing everything up so that if there is a security breach in one part of the network, everything's compartmentalized so that it can't get to other parts. So think like a ship, you know, with hatches and stuff, and they always keep the code that way. They run into an iceberg. It won't fill up with water and sink. Kind of the same analogy, except on the network. But so that's like with different servers and whatnot, right? So 
Um, and I don't think that I'm giving away any super secret sauce here, guys. Like I think <laughs> anybody that's been to a holiday party at DFT has walked past the server room. Okay. Look at he's like, can't you put a curtain up? Why are you, why are you letting them see our server room? But like we have different holdovers. So we have this much media segregated to this server. This media segregated to that server. And also there's there's a great t-shirt that again, once again, Thomas Gallion, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, the cloud is just someone else's computer. And so that's really all these are. That's that's what these things are in the in the server room. These are computers for lack of a better term. They're servers. Mm -hmm. And so the point is that all of this data is sitting on these servers. Some are segregated for specific client media. Some are segregated for certain parts of DFT. And then others are for for redundancy and fail safe and, and things of that nature. Is that mm -hmm. accurate? That's fair to say? Yep. So in this case, that's kind of what you're saying, right? That like we have these and we have them segmented. So even if somebody were to compromise uh, an accounts payable or an accounts receivable or somebody in the billing office, that's not necessarily going to impact what Carlo is doing back in VFX. That's correct. It's, it's, there's really no way that there could be an impact because Carlo's computer is in no way connected to the you know, front office. So what happens? Let's keep picking on Carlo here because it's <laughs> one of my favorite things. So Carlo also does work from home. What do we do to make sure that, you know, <laughs> and we're going to pick on Carlo because we actually have a VFX person who has introduced so many bugs on their own computer, but let's pretend like it was Carlo. What have we done to make sure that his own work from home on that computer doesn't impact DFT? So uh, in addition to all the segmentation we talked about, uh, we also don't let media leave the building. So we've come up with this, uh, what we call thin client computing, where the only thing that goes home with Carlo is the output to his monitor, uh, keyboard, and mouse. And so all the media he's working on is safely back at DFT, you know, behind four locks and so on. Interesting. So when Aaron is sitting at home and not sleeping, this is why you're not in the work-life balance episode, even though, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Jazz hands and spirit fingers. She's actually pretty good at the work-life balance thing. Um, when you're at home moving files, kicking mm -hmm. off renders and copies and things like that, what makes that safe? Is this a similar situation? Yeah. For me, it's um, still the same process, even though I'm moving data that I'm not really looking at. I'm just moving the files where it's the same process as Carlo, who actually has to open those and files and manipulate that media but the process is still the same because we are remoting in like using a secure way and uh, utilizing like a bunch of programs that all work together um, to allow us to like have the media at DFT but mm -hmm. still feel like for Carlo for an artist it's much more important uh, than somebody like me where I'm not opening up every file that like I'm, I'm seeing mm -hmm. come come in or out of the building for them they have to feel like it's the experience when they're at home just like that if they were sitting in front of their 
system at DFT physically. Is there any feeling for let's we're going to keep hammering on the Carlo thing, mm-hmm. but is there a difference? Does is there any noticeable difference between like me working locally and them logging in to the media here? Like once they're logged in, is there does it feel any different? Is there a lag? Is there all these different sign-ins or hurdles that they have to do or what? No, uh, not in terms of logging in. That is straightforward. And then we've gone through painstaking R&D to make sure that an artist is able to like keep that experience of if they open it up working remotely and like open, log in, connect to their computer at DFT, they wouldn't feel a difference. So we have what's called remote desktop protocol. So it's not like myself compared to Carlo, who's a VFX artist. We allow them to use different remote desktop protocols. We're not saying you have to just use this one protocol. Wait, so are you saying that like somebody can use Splashtop or, and if I'm messing up all these different Mm -hmm. things, but it's like, there's jump desktop and there's a VPN and there's jump, jump splash top VPN. Mm-hmm. Like, are those all parody? Like, how do you want to log in is how you want to log in? Or am I messing that up? It's different performance layers through each of those remote desktop protocols. So far as like speed or yes. bandwidth or? Uh, in terms of like not having a latency issue or a lag and seeing is that where the whole jacob tillman ladies and gentlemen mm-hmm. i can't wait for it <gasps> i think it's going to be his first drop oh yes this that, is talks. Like, that is true that is true this season is going to be the first time we finally get jacob tillman yep. on the drop yep um but he loves amulet amulet so that's like the the upper echelon of these things yeah it's a hardware yeah it's it's hardware um, but yeah, whether it's hardware or a um, software like Jump Desktop or Splashtop, um, it allows you to like work on your system and feel no difference mm-hmm. and not experience like a lag. The reason why Jake Jacob loves the Amulet mm-hmm. is especially like when working on a show like Ted Lasso or NLA, you can maybe allow for one to two frames in terms of sync. Like, so your audio like lining up when you're seeing people's lips mm-hmm. move, you're not seeing it like, you know, <laughs> so much later and like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, vaudeville-ish or, yeah. you know. But Jacob Tillman, Jake, as we call him, mm-hmm. um, he's an online editor. So yeah. every single frame counts. Not that it doesn't count in other areas, but he's finalized. So for him, it's it's immeasurably important to have this lineup accurately and in a timely fashion. Like he can't sit around waiting for that. And Correct. Yeah. Yeah, especially like with... Um, like uh, Jake or um, like our, like a uh, lot of our finishing team that works very much with like the clients and has clients like mm-hmm. sessions, especially if you're working remotely, <laughs> you cannot have that lag, you know, like you want to make sure it's like apples to apples, like that they're looking at it to be able to have final sign off. That's a whole other ball of beeswax. So mm-hmm. 
let's talk about VLC is what we have here too. So like we use, again, DFT is agnostic. We're going to go with what makes the client happiest, mm -hmm. but we have uh, VLC, which was not proprietary or is that, would you say that that's proprietary? It's not proprietary. It's not, okay. Mm -hmm. So we have VLC streaming, which uh, people from home can certainly log into what we're sending out that stream. Um, we have shows that want to use Clearview and that's a piece of hardware as well as software that is then creating parity. We of course have GeoFinish, which is proprietary, yeah? Mm -hmm. Where we're actually sending a one-to-one -one box out into the field with a calibrated monitor. We have a number of different options when it comes to reviews and mm -hmm. sitting with somebody and finishing, whether it is, you know, Thomas or Henry in color or Jacob or Scott in Lacan in finishing, everything from home economics and NCIS LA to Ted Lasso, they all finished in a different capacity. So we have VLC streaming, which you can log into. It's not as fast per se. Um, it's perfectly wonderful to, to have those reviews. And then you have something like Clearview. No offense, folks, but kind of expensive. But that is really low latency, right? That's, that's pretty upper echelon of things. It is upper echelon. I think the thing to continue along the theme, not only are we agnostic, but we're constantly looking for ways uh, to continue that efficiency and cost effective um, to like provide that to our clients. So yes, we did use Clearview on a show, but we're also R&Ding, like mm -hmm. another- um, That's uh, what I mean. We also like, there are people that want to use Frame.io and yeah. that's how they're going to review things. We're very familiar with pics and you know, People only want to like, that's how they watch their dailies. But then in finishing, um, you know, it's not just Clearview or Streambox. Streambox. Mm -hmm. There's all these different things. And then at DFT, we have GeoFinish. We will literally put top tier, like your calibrated monitor and a resolve system. So there's Thomas sitting in bay two here at DFT just, and when he moves his controls on his resolve, it's also controlling theirs at home. Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is, had nothing to do with the pandemic. Everybody at home who was editing and finishing and all of these things that they were like, oh, I can't like, but I mean, like, yes, it was a very serious thing. I'm not mitigating that. It's, we really literally came up with GeoFinish because people were sick of driving the 405. Mm -hmm. They wanted to live in Manhattan Beach, but they wanted to finish here in in universal city and it was a lot more not just convenient but also they needed to get a lot done we had showrunners working with us even on on so many different shows that we have they didn't have a say in their production company being in santa monica but they did have a say in wanting their colors here at dft or achieving you know their final look here and so let's have the finish happen there and they can actually bring us a system 
where we feel comfortable knowing that we're seeing exactly the same thing that Thomas is seeing. We're seeing exactly the same thing that Henry is seeing. I don't have to worry about that and I don't have to wait for that. Mm -hmm. So all these other things, of course, it's my job to say that ours is the best. <laughs> That's for you to decide, but also make sure you get yourself a GeoFinish system so that you can decide for yourself. <laughs> now, with that though, how do you secure something like that? Because that's a heck of a lot of media. You're actually looking at a finished product, like essentially in a review session. I mean, how much is your average episode of NCIS LA, a 60 minute show with a lot of VFX? Now it's like different, but again, we adapt to like the higher resolutions. But yeah, we have a secure route can we just tell them that like we transfer that over secure networks and mm -hmm. it lands on the system? Yes, magically. <laughs> but the system actually has to be turned on and that's not pointing at anybody on Team NCISLA. <laughs> we love you. Um, well, let me ask this. Mm -hmm. What are some of the biggest challenges? Are we allowed to talk about that? <laughs> what are some of the biggest challenges we've actually had to security? Getting everyone to adopt hardware security tokens. Uh, that's something that's not very common in the Hollywood world. Uh, it's probably a lot more common in maybe financial sectors or something, you know, for the last 20 years. <laughs> okay, have I done that? What is a hardware token? I don't even know. Did, am I, am I, I have no idea. Yeah, so, uh, so you think about like uh, security. So a password is something you know, whereas a hardware token is something you have. So if a hacker somehow figures out your password because of a data dump of last FM and you've used the same password for the last decade or something like that, well, that's that's not good. But if they don't also have your YubiKey or the phone, uh, the code that can only be generated on your phone, they still can't get in. And so anytime we do something remotely, we always add that what's called second factor of authentication of something that you have to physically have. I see. Okay. So that's, that's the two factor or the multi-factor authentication. So again, yeah. as CFO uh, at DFT, my golly gee willikers, I could probably walk 14 miles before I can log into one of our banking accounts. I mean, God bless. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's the bingo. It is, it is a lot to log into our bank accounts, which is great because that's, that's what takes care of all of us. But also same thing, just as valuable is the media because that is also what makes the money that then takes care of all of us. So arguably the media is what's taking care of us. So for us, that is the pain in the butt that is my Google authenticator <laughs> and or any of the other, okay, so the physical attribute. What would you say has been the hardest part of adopting here at DFT? I think it's still finding that um, it, it's always like uh, trying to strike that balance. We have uh, done an excellent job, but we're always um, growing. And so we always want to make sure that we um, are able to uh, remain efficient, fast, cost effective while really prioritizing security, which I think at other um, places sometimes like gets like muddled. We're not, they're not putting it 
uh, like as a top priority or equal to like trying to be efficient and um, fast and cost effective. Mm-hmm. Like they're pretty much like two, you know. Well, that's the other pillars. thing. Cost effective. I don't know that people actually understand that that this is maybe just scary because there's a lot that goes into it but nobody is suggesting that you have to do this yourself i mean that is why mm-hmm. you know you've built something of a white glove opportunity here where we've done this for shows that are not even ours yep. i mean i think a lot of people sure. were absolutely like deer in a headlights when the pandemic pandemic started but we had i want to say at one point no less than like 26 shows with our routers on them. That was the only service that we were providing mm-hmm. was the actual secure infrastructure of people being able to work safely from home on someone else's systems, accessing media on a lot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's actually practical and applicable to any show that's working out there, right? Like we even had one called The Nevers, right? Like where they had their, well, why don't I let you tell the story? Like, how is it that we're actually able to do that for shows that aren't even ours? Yeah, uh, you know, I don't even remember now how I first crossed paths with the Nevers, uh, but they were having some networking issues, and I was just like, hey, I can, I can help you fix that. And an hour later, uh, they were good to go, and uh, so we're, we're still, you know, hosting their equipment now, and, and uh, every season I build out a network for them. I have to figure out how to get more content out of this <laughs> wild. Um, how did we deploy like the routers that we have that are still in use today for our, our artists who work in New York or Atlanta, in Canada, et cetera, people who are not physically in this building, everybody has a router. That is just as simple. Like talk me through what that is for people that are clients or just, you know, not staff at DFT? Yeah, so I actually came up with a way to do the same thing via software so that we had a little bit more flexibility uh, and could more rapidly deploy the pretty much the same level of security. Jersey, uh, you don't even have software. to actually put the, the routers out into the field now? Yep. Right, yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to optimize and, uh, you know, have flexibility. And so, yeah, this this past season, I, I found a way where uh, we could have uh, same security, but um, the client can actually self-manage who has access. They, they don't even have to uh, open a ticket with me to, to do it for them. So that's kind of like... Um... Not trying to tell the folks at home how to hack my network, but like <laughs> T-Mobile lets me, you know, add, remove devices and give people their own password and manage when they're allowed to access my network and things like that. Is that kind of what you're looking at in the master control center? Yeah. So we're basically hosting the server with their media and then they have, you know, where they're filming in Europe. And and so I set everything up uh just, you know, from my home office where everything was linked together securely, we didn't have to ship any gear. And then the client's able to directly manage who can get access to it and when. And uh, I'm just available for tech support should they need it. And just so you guys know, I don't know if you can actually see him on camera on this iPad over here, but Ty is literally sitting in like an island off the coast of who knows where. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. He is anonymous. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Uh, let me ask you guys this because I'm sure anybody that's actually listening to this is wondering mm-hmm. like, okay, well, that's a post house and, you know, they have to worry about uh, Ted Lasso. What is What does that matter to me? Like, why does that even matter to people who might be working on like, you know, an indie feature, for example, that nobody's ever heard of? What, is, what can and should they be doing to make sure that they feel the media is safe and then also why does it matter that that media is safe well i think um having that mindset of one like having redundancies having backups and like being able uh to like have it be secure if you are director uh you know and this is like to use like a you know um they get a pitch deck or something like where you're still selling the media what if somebody really likes your idea yeah and like takes it for themselves or like if you were a first-time director which we have two people like we're working on two features coming up Mm -hmm. um it doesn't matter the budget you that's like your baby you've worked so hard on it that if somebody like were to like come in and and take your idea or you know take certain things and pawn it off as their work you'd still be impacted you want to approach everything with the mindset of one how like if something were to happen you want to always make sure you have redundancy and then know the the people on your like your team that you have like a trust factor there too because you're still taking that drive and using the example of a phone you're still trusting uh, your transpo department or like a, a, a production assistant to take that physical drive and put it like it has to go somewhere, whether it's like, you know, the old school way of being shipped or like how we um, are using it in uh, geo dailies, no matter like if you or just doing things around like, you know, at home, like to use like the dance example, she's worked uh, like the owner of the studio that I'm a part of has worked over the last 18 years building documents. And so you don't want Mm -hmm. to like lose that um, information. And like, so you want to be able to have it securely like stored, even Mm -hmm. if you're like at home, but you're an owner of a business still developing that mindset of security plus so redundancy. would you say that if she's like storing all of that to a drive mm-hmm. and there's a password on that drive and that drive then you know she can just keep it on that and not keep it on something that's connected to the internet like her laptop or something yeah. like that mm-hmm. does that sound pretty secure yep because drives um, are a physical media is able to also be encrypted, whether it's through password, uh, a pin pad. Uh, there's multiple ways mm-hmm. to like, you know, go through your go through your life if you're not media and entertainment to still think about things and protecting whatever yeah. like data you have that's special to you. Yeah. I know it's getting late over there for you. What do you got for us? What's your what's your best pro tip for somebody uh, working at home to keep their media? Um, never reuse passwords. Fair, fair. <laughs> what if it's like a really good sentence or something? Probably a good password. Just 
you know, make it a Both little unique. Same place. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my pro tip, be wary of phone calls. That's the next generation of all of this. Yeah, because even that, they can mm-hmm. record it and use it for, I just, especially if I don't know the number, I just answer the phone by answering the call. I don't even say anything. Because if it's dead air, then I'm like, you're calling from a recorded line. And, mm-hmm. oh, man, I will say this. That's one thing that I get really aggressive on. If someone is trying to trick me, there was somebody that was like, we're calling and there is a warrant out for your arrest and Mm -hmm. we're going to be there in three minutes. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. (laughs) I can't wait. And they were like, ma'am, this is not a joke. We're Mm -hmm. from the federal blah, blah, blah. And I was like, really? Because if you stay on the line with me for another 12 seconds, I'll have traced your location. (laughs) And they hang up. Yeah. But you called me from a number and I call it back and I'm like, hi, it's me again. <laughs> it's the best. Don't mess with them. They're not worth it. But it was a good time, folks. It was a good time. Um, so I will say this. Be mindful. Just be mindful. Like I said, you don't need to you don't need to do the auto generator, but you can. That's a very easy way to have different passwords on things. Um if you were not expecting a file, don't open the file. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if you are working in this industry, if you're media and entertainment and you aren't using some of these very practical, very easy, very basic steps, and you want the security of knowing that you are doing things by the book, your media is protected, we are also just a phone call away. Don't prank me, <laughs> uh, but we are just a phone call okay. away. And we are very fortunate to not only have as CISO and Aaron White, Director of Content and Data Security. Uh, But we also have basically two CTOs (laughs) operating here at Digital Film Tree. And we have a bevy of people who are very, very serious about security. Because frankly, uh, if you work with Apple and Amazon and Netflix and all the studios that are up the street and down the street, you'd be a little scared too. (laughs) So uh, we are here for you and we are not going to be that kind of webinar that says check in with your IT team, mostly because we're ready to be your IT team. So with that, lady, gentlemen, that's it. Thanks for joining us on another drop here at DFT. We'll see you next time. 